uh, 1 through 5 this morning. So let us stand and uh, pray and ask God's blessing upon us, and then we'll read Scripture. Our Father, we pray and ask your blessing upon us this morning as we, Lord, come and study your word. As, Lord, I preach this message, we pray for enlightenment and understanding Lord, we pray for a message that would be honoring and pleasing in your sight, a message that would build up and edify and encourage the saints of Jesus Christ. Lord, and those people that, uh, Lord, may be here this morning that are filled with doubt, filled with unbelief, Lord, filled with trepidation, we pray that this message would be used of the Lord Jesus to draw any and all to Him that know Him not savingly, that do not have that saving relationship with Him, that there would be, even this day, eyes opened, ears opened, and hearts made soft to the blessed teaching of Your Word. And we pray and ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. Beloved, I want to begin reading at verse 1 of chapter 5. Now, as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. And we are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing." And thus ends the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters, the passage of Scripture I read to you addresses the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of history. Paul is addressing that day of the Lord when Christ will come back and and history or the, the reality as we know it will cease to exist. It'll be a the dawn of a new day, if you will. It'll be the dawn of a new day. It'll be that day where Christ comes to separate the goats from the sheep. Separate the believers from the unbelievers. And to receive those who have put their faith and trust in Him, to receive those to Himself, to be fully glorified in body and soul, and to be in a state of unchanging sinlessness forever, and they will go on. All who trust and rest in Christ will go on from that moment on into eternity, never to sin again in thought, word, or deed, but in every way able to appreciate, love, and serve, and obey, and live for Christ forever and ever and ever. And of course, all of God's people should say, Amen. It won't be that way for the unbeliever. When Jesus comes back on that day, for him it's going to be a day of terror. For that man or woman, for that person that has not lived their lives in accordance with the blessed grace offered to them in Christ Jesus, 
That day is not going to be a day of salvation. It's not going to be a day of joy. It's not going to be a day of gladness. It's not going to be a day of celebration. It's going to be a day of terror. It's going to be a day of extreme horror because they will receive bodies of an indestructible nature and they will be put into eternal torment forever. Forever. The Lord Jesus taught in the Gospels is the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. A place where there's going to be a great sorrow and affliction for the unbeliever. A place where there'll be unmitigated pain. Unmitigated horror. An unmitigated, a never-ceasing, never-diminishing sorrow. Forever and ever and ever, forever. Paul addresses the importance for these Christians, for those Christians in Thessalonica and for us this morning, to be sober-minded, to be vigilant, to be watchful. To be, to be sober-minded and vigilant and watchful in the reality that that day is going to happen. That that day is going to come at some point in history. It's not a myth. It's not... It's not a teaching that the church made up to keep people in line. You know, that's been espoused uh, in a lot of uh, uh, atheistic debates and whatnot that the church has created this doctrine of eternal judgment in order to keep the people in line. But we're going to look at a passage of Scripture this morning that this is exactly what Paul is going to teach us. That it's not a myth, it's a reality. It's a truth. And brothers and sisters, one thing that we must embrace as we look at this text of Scripture is certainly the idea that what we think about the future has a direct impact on today. What we think about the future How you see your future has an impact on how you behave today. How you are diligent in shaping your character. How you are diligent in shaping your habits, in molding your practices. All the things that you put your hands to, now think about this. If it's mindless, and here's what I mean by mindless, it doesn't mean you don't put any thought into the activity itself. It means you don't put any thought into where the activity may take you. The, the, you, you don't put any thought to what this, is, what this activity and habit or practice will do to you. Because you're mindful of this day that Paul says, this this day of the Lord that Paul is addressing. Now we live as Christians, we should live, and I'm going to even say we better live, we better live in the reality of the day of the Lord. We better live our Every day in the reality that there is going to be a day in which our Lord comes back and settles everything and ushers in an eternity and we're going to all be present at that event. We're going to all be present at that event. Every person born in this world will be present at that event. 
Paul wants to uh, address and deal with this day of the Lord in a way that it doesn't affect them negatively. Notice what he says in verse 1. Let's look at the text itself. Paul says in verse 1, he says, Now to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Now what does he mean by that? Paul wants to make sure that there's not this sinful curiosity and overemphasizing of this day of the Lord. And what, is, what does that mean to overemphasize it? Well, it could mean a couple of things. It could mean, number one, that you are so terror-struck by the day of the Lord that you cease to, to work at a job. You cease to raise your children. You cease to raise a family. Uh, you cease to do any of those productive things that a Christian ought to be doing because you don't know if Jesus may come back tonight. And Paul says that. Listen, that is unnecessary. There are people that have made a lot of money exploiting unbiblical curiosity in the church among God's people by, by claiming to know the date of the end of the world. And I'm not going to go into the, the, the books, but they go all the way back even, you know, in, even into the 1700s, there have been men that have tried to predict the end of the world. And there have been all kinds of different calculations and methods and schemes by which these men come up with those dates. Now, I guess I'm going to state the obvious. They haven't, none of them have happened. Okay? Remember back in the 80s, we had 1984, we had 1988, I think there was one for 1990, I think one, a couple of them in 1990s, and of course 2000. Guess what? None of them happened. If you take your Bibles, I think we can settle this, because what happens, if you turn to Matthew 24, what happens is... Un, uh, Christians that are not familiar with their Bibles or Christians that are not controlling their emotions fall into those schemes and traps. But the Bible, in Matthew 24, verse 36, but that day and hour no one knows. Okay, now listen to this. Now this is Scripture telling us, this is the Lord Jesus telling His disciples as He addresses this day of the Lord, what does Jesus say? That of that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Now, what does he mean by um, not even the Son of God knows the day? I think what Jesus is saying is Jesus as man does not even know the day in which his Father will send him back. Jesus says God knows everything because God knows all things. So we have a verse in Scripture that should, that should, it should squelch and put to rest any idea that someone can know the date of the end of the world, right? We have a verse right here that tells us no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven know. Not even the Son of God knows the day and hour, and yet we have men selling thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of copies of their books that say they know, they know, they have figured it out. And Paul writes and he says, listen, as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Paul's saying, I've already told you, you can't know the day. You don't need to know the day and hour. It's not necessary for you to know the day and hour. What is necessary is that you know there is a day and hour. What is necessary 
is not that specific day and hour of my coming, of Jesus' coming back, but that he is coming back and that you should be busy when he comes back doing what he's called you to do as brothers and sisters in Christ, as church bodies. And there's there's a distinct contrast in this text between believers and unbelievers. Notice the text. Look at verse 2. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So notice he says, okay, he's speaking to them as believers. Look at verse 3. Now we have they. You know, who are they? Who, who are they? While they are saying peace and safety, and this is probably a reference uh, to the flood of Noah's day or even to the time of Jeremiah's day. That's when the unbelievers cried peace and safety and judgment was coming. Imminent judgment was on its way in Noah's day. It was on its way in Jeremiah's day with the judgment of Babylon coming upon Israel and what was the cry of the unbelievers who didn't trust the prophets of God, who didn't trust the word of God, they said, peace and safety. All right? Then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child. They will not escape. So notice verse 3. There's a contrast between those who know about the day of the Lord, those who are expecting the day of the Lord, and those who do not expect the day of the Lord. Those who don't see this day of the Lord being significant with anything. And then look at verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. So Paul is making a contrast that this day is going to be a day when the ungodly are taken by total surprise. Now you may say, Pastor, okay, if we don't know the day and hour, will it not take us by surprise? No, you missed the point. What Paul is saying is, we live in the expectation of his coming back. And though we might not know the day and hour, we should not be surprised about the day of the Lord itself. And that there will be a day that when it happens, it's going to be a day of great horror and sudden judgment upon those unexpected people, unbelievers. And it's going to be a day of great joy and salvation for those who have been living in the expectation of the day of the Lord. That's the difference. This is the difference. This is how our eschatology shapes our everyday practice. What you believe about the future will and does have an effect, an impact upon how you live today. Notice what he goes on to say. He says, but you brethren are not in darkness. That day would overtake you for you are all sons of light and sons of day. And we are not of night nor of darkness. So Paul makes a contrast in this passage, and he continues to do that through the end of verse 11 that I read to you when we opened up this message. Paul continues to make the contrast. And the point that Paul is making here, he says, listen, you you don't want to be like them. They. They are the ones who have heard the prophets preach. They've heard the ministers of the gospel preach of the day of the Lord. They've heard about there being a day of judgment. They've heard about there being a day of reconciliation, a day of glory, a day of of manifesting the glory and the power and the might and the salvation of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in Philippians that on that day, every knee shall bow. Every knee, every knee. Every tongue confess, whether believing or unbelieving, 
that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? Why will that happen? Because there will be a day of grand and spectacular revelation. Undoubtedly, He is Christ Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man. He is the Savior of men. The only Savior of men. There is no other. You mean all those times I heard those men preach this and I laughed at it. Or I thought, why worry about something that's so far into the future is never going to impact my life? Brothers and sisters, Paul wants to make sure that you this morning, under the sound of this message, under the sound of my voice, hear this gospel, hear this doctrine, and, and take it to heart. Take it to heart. Take take heart in knowing that there will be a day of the Lord. And there's only going to be two positions taken on that day. There are going to be those who are caught up in darkness, as Paul says here. And they're going to be the sons of light. Those who are enveloped in darkness, ignorance, unbelief. Moral depravity, moral corruptions of character. And there's going to be the sons of light, the daughters of light. Those who are not perfect, but those who strive to love Christ with all their hearts, with all their minds, their neighbor as themselves those who are striving to conform their character to Jesus Christ, those who are striving to rid their character, their lives and habits of sin, deal with it in the blood of, with the blood of Christ and in the name of Christ. You see, those are the ones that Paul says, it's not going to be a terror to you. See, t- turn... Turn back in your Bibles to Matthew 24. Because of this idea of this day being a reality and it is coming, Notice in verse 42 and following, of course, Jesus teaches the preparedness of the day. He says, listen, though you don't know the hour or the day, but you should be prepared for it. In verse 42, therefore, be on the alert. And that's what Paul is saying in Thessalonians. He is saying, be sober minded, be vigilant, be on the alert. Same thing as Christ. For you do not know which day Your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, that's what Paul's emphasizing here in this chapter. Paul is wanting to stir up in us a a sense of vigilance 
a sense of alertness, a, a sense of, of, of preparing for that day of watchfulness, watchfulness. Notice what he says in verse 6 and following. Notice he begins to tell us what to do or what this watchfulness looks like. We'll address this next week, but I'll give you a taste of it now. He says, so then let us not sleep as others do. Let us be alert and sober. So you see, there are some maybe here this morning that sleep. They sleep in reference to the teaching of the day of the Lord. They're asleep. They don't care. I don't care. When I'm asleep at night, I don't care if it rains outside. I don't care. I don't care. When we are asleep, beloved, when we are asleep to the things of God, when we are asleep to the truth and reality of future of, of future mankind, and we are asleep to those things, we are going to be overtaken. Those who are overtaken, those who are separated and, and ushered into the place of hypocrites where there is weeping and gnashing of the teeth, are those who are asleep. Not sober and not watchful, but asleep. Verse 7, for those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of love and the helmet and the hope of salvation, as, as a helmet and the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for our obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with Him. And of course, in verse 10, he's talking about those who have died in Christ. He's not talking about the sleep of being lazy and indifferent. In that context, he's talking about those who have died before He comes back again. And then he says in verse 11, well, encourage one another. Build up one another just as you also are doing. Well, what does this teaching, how should this teaching have an effect upon us? Well, first of all, brothers and sisters, we should not fret over what God is doing in the earth. We shouldn't fret over God's plan. Okay? God has ordained a day where He created everything. And God has also ordained a day when that creation will cease to be what it is right now. And we should not fret over this timeline that God in between these two powerful revealing events has ordained a message of the gospel to be preached to all the nations and that we should not fret that God is in charge and in control, that He is sovereign, that He is subduing nations up under His feet, that He is saving nations, and that He is putting down nations. And it shouldn't cause us or paralyze us to know that there will be a day when this world as we experience it, in this body and in the ways we do, will cease. Don't fret about it. God's ordained it. Don't let it interrupt your sensitivities to worship, your religious sensibilities. Don't let it dull your excitement for worship or for service or for, for, for going out and witnessing in the name of Christ. Don't let it dull any of those religious sensibilities in you. Don't fret over these things. Take delight in the fact that our God cares and He has revealed to us in His most holy word what He is doing. Amen? He has revealed to you and I what His plans are. He has said there's a day of judgment coming. There's a day of the Lord coming. Don't be overtaken by it. Be found faithful at that day. 
What a message. What a message. And that message is a joy. Listen to me. That message is a joy for all of those here this morning that actually believe it and receive it. You see, if it's considered to be a myth, fancy teaching, ways to manipulate people, that person is still in darkness. That person is the one that's going to be overtaken like a thief in the night. That person is the one that's going to be assigned to the place of hypocrites and where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But brothers and sisters, please take delight in the fact that God has revealed to us what his plan is and he has called us to himself to how he's called us to himself with the gospel to believe and trust in him so that on that day guess what notice what he says in verse 9 for god has not destined us for wrath but for obtaining salvation through our lord jesus christ Guess what? On that day, if you are robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, if you have lived your life in love and pursuit and joy and worship of Him, guess what? You have nothing to fear on that day. Nothing to fear on that day. That will be a day of joy and gladness. That will be a day of full revelation of your salvation. Think about it. Think about what it's like for you to meet a person that you haven't seen in a long time, you've been away from them, and how happy you are to see them. Think about what it's going to be like when we are in the presence of Christ with our nude, with our, with our, our new, renewed bodies and minds and hearts. Never to change again. Never to fall. Never to think one bad thought never to misspeak on any subject, and and in every perfect way, celebrate, walk with, commune, and serve and worship Christ forever. Amen. Delight in this, brothers and sisters. See, See, there's something more to just knowing there's a day. Take delight in the day of the Lord. This day that's coming, take delight in it. What? How can you take, say, Pastor, but there's going to be a day of destruction. Not for you who believe. Not for you who believe. It's not going to overtake you like a thief in the night. That's what Paul says. It's not going to overtake you like the birth pains of a woman going into labor. It's not going to overtake you like that. For us, it's going to be a day of gladness. For the unbeliever, and this is Paul's emphasis here, and this is where I'm going to stay, for them, it's a day of sudden destruction. Sudden destruction. For you yourselves know full will that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. How many thieves call the homeowner up and say, hey, I'm robbing you tonight at 2 a.m.? It doesn't happen. Thieves come secretly and suddenly and they strike without notice, without any alerts. They come and do their devious work under the cover of darkness and in secrecy. And Christ says, my day is going to be like that for the unbeliever, sudden quick and destructive. He also says it's going to be like the birth pains. Notice verse 3, the end of verse 3. And them sudden like pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. Well, and what's the idea here? You can say, well, wait a minute. If a woman is pregnant, she obviously knows the condition she's in and guess what? She also knows birth pains are coming. But she don't know the hour they come. She knows they're coming. It's part of it. It's part of the condition she's in. And guess what? She can't escape the condition, can she? 
She can't escape. Her pregnancy is going to produce birth pains when that child is ready to be born. And and what Paul is saying is, it's just like that with the unbeliever. He cannot, she cannot escape the fact that Christ is going to come. And he's going to deal with and judge all who do not trust and believe and rest in him for their salvation. He's going to deal with them. And it will overtake them like those birth pains take that woman with child. In fact, notice what he goes on his peace and safety. Look with me at Matthew 24 again. I know it's an important text of Scripture. But this is where Paul's getting this. This is how we interpret Scripture with Scripture. Verse 36, but that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone, for the coming of the Son of Man will just will be just like the days of Noah. All right, now notice what he says. This coming of the Lord is going to be like the days of Noah. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day of, that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now notice this. What were they doing? They were eating and drinking. They were marrying. They were doing those common things that people and cultures and societies do. But what was the problem? The problem is they did it all in the name of man. And not in the name of God. They live their lives in, in complete atheism. They married without acknowledgement of God. They, they ate and drank without acknowledging God who gives the food. They lived like atheists. Taking advantage of one another. And they lived this life and notice what they said. Peace and safety. What's wrong? Noah, what are you preaching this doctrine of judgment? You're building a boat in the middle of nowhere. You must be a strange man. The church was extremely small. There were only eight members. Eight members of the church in the days of Noah. It was an extremely small church. An extremely a church with no influence culturally. They didn't believe Noah's message. Noah preached that judgment was coming and noticed that Jesus teaches, he says, and they didn't even understand the message. They noticed they did not understand until the floods came. Did you get the picture? What is that strange judgment? What is this? Believe in the Son of God. Believe in Jesus. What are you talking about? I'm not a bad person. I'm eating and drinking and giving in marriage. I don't need God to be a good person. The same things we hear today. And what Jesus said, they cry peace and say, nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. The whole time God said, there's a lot wrong. There's a lot wrong. And Moses, Noah, preached it. But when did they understand? When did it hit them? The day that Noah entered the ark and the floods came. Guess what they knew at that point? He was right. Do you follow? Do you see the point? What did those unbelievers believe the moment Noah entered the ark and the rains came? They believed his message. But guess what, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, guess what? It was too late. When God shut the door behind Noah, it was too late. It's too late. And families who made fun of that preacher, 
And those boys and girls that started started in the same habit of their parents, making fun of the preacher, making fun of the message, making fun of that book he preaches from, making fun of all these prophecies, all the, they knew at that point in time it was too late and he was right. Horror. Horror. Mamas crying for their children, children crying for their mama, husbands crying for their wife. Let me tell you something. It was a, it was a, and it was an unspeakable sight. But it could have been avoided. Paul uses the same terminology. While they're saying they are these unbelievers, those who won't listen to the gospel, those who won't heed the message of my preachers that I've sent out to teach the nations to obey me, they will say peace and safety. What's the problem, preacher? Then destruction will come upon them suddenly, just like it did in Noah's day. Now, brothers and sisters, that day the Lord Jesus comes back, it's going to be a grand revelation for unbelievers. Guess what? I believe it's going to be this parallel of what Jesus was saying in the days of Noah. They will know they were wrong. They're going to know they're wrong. And it's going to be too late. It's done. See, even if you are alive when Jesus comes back, you can't then trust in Him. It's over. It's done. It's finished. You can't at that moment go, oh, wait a minute. I want to reconsider this. You didn't believe my messengers. You didn't believe the message of Scripture. You didn't believe the teaching, my teachings in Scripture. When the preacher unfolded it to you, you didn't believe me when I spoke through him in the Word of God. And you want to believe me now that you see me. It's too Well, brothers and sisters, just a couple of things in application. I don't want to dwell on this idea that of this destruction, but I, I want you to feel it. I want you to, I want you to, I want you to bear the weight of it. Two classes of people. Paul is making a, a contrast between they and them who are in the state of darkness, those who do not believe the message, those who do not consider the the day of the Lord at all in their thinking. They don't live today as if there's going to be a day of judgment against those who do consider the day and live in the, in the reality and light of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back to receive all of His who trust and rest in Him. And that is going to be a glorious day for us. Notice what He says here. In order to stir up in us these religious affections and the strength to persevere in faith. Lord, when we look around us and we see so much unbelief, when we see so little faithfulness, or, or at least we don't know about it, or at least we don't recognize it or are aware of it, but when we live in a day when it looks like atheism continues to, to grow bigger and bigger and more powerful every year in this country, let us take heart and let us take heart in knowing that the Bible teaches that there is going to be a day of reconciliation and those who are the sons of light, it's not going to be a day of destruction for them, but a day of joy and gladness. Who are the sons of light? Paul says this, doesn't he? Paul says, listen, he makes this emphasis. He goes, in verse 4, but you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are sons of light and the sons of day. And we are not of night. 
nor of darkness. This is another way of Paul saying the same thing. It's another way of Paul saying, we are not of unbelief and ignorance. We are not the children of the devil. We are not the sons and daughters of disobedience. Ephesians 2. But we are the children of God. We are the children of light. What one of the sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ say, I am the light. If you are a child of the light, if you are a son and daughter of light, guess what? You are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. See, you can't be a daughter of light or a son of light and not be a lover of Jesus. You, beloved, if you are being described here as a son or daughter of light, then you are a follower and a lover of Jesus Christ. It means you believe in Him. You trust in Him. You want to live for Him. It means that His teachings are the light of your path. His teaching, His Word is light to you. And it lights up your life. And it's evident that you live as son or a daughter of light because you are implementing and you are practicing the teachings of the one who is light. It means we've been adopted into God's family and we are his sons and daughters through Christ who is the way to God. It means if we are a son and daughter of light, then we are a child of God. We are a daughter of God. We are a son of God. And it means, brothers and sisters, listen to me. If we are a son and daughter of God, it means that we want to take on His traits. Right? We want to be like our Father. We want to be kind, loving, considerate, patient, long-suffering. We want to be merciful. We want to be loving. We want to be firm. We, know, we want to be all that He is. We want to be like Him because He is our Father and we are His children. But I can tell you right now, if you're here this morning, if you're here this morning and you have no concern for wanting to be like God, You're not a believer. You're not a son of light. You're not a daughter of light. And Paul tells us you're going to be overtaken in that day of judgment. That you're going to be, that that horror and judgment is going to come suddenly to you. And you're going to be overtaken and destroyed. The only one who is going to escape is the one who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Verse 9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we live together with Him. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Are you living for Christ? Are you living for self? That's the message. See, being sober and vigilant, being watchful is all related to a relationship and communion with Christ. If 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 you are mindful of your character, well, on Sunday nights, we're listening to a series by R.C. Sproul, right, on developing Christian character. That means it's character that we can only develop because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't develop this kind of character apart from Christ. But if you have Christ, if you have Him who is the light of the world, then you are a son and daughter of light, and then you have the power to do what? Be shaped and molded into that image of light and into that image of that character of God because you are a son and daughter of God and He empowers you to do that. It's called sanctification. And part of our sanctification is vigilance, watchfulness, 
And I'm going to talk about those things, what they mean next week. But brothers and sisters, being vigilant to do what? Being vigilant in all that God has commanded us to do. All. Not half of it. What is it you know right now you ought to be doing you're not doing? What are the things that you have dealt with and wrestled with in your own heart? I need to do these things, but I can make a thousand excuses on why I can put it off. Why aren't you doing them? Vigilance. Being sober, being, being cautious. Knowing that not everything I can put my hands to is going to be good for me. I shouldn't do. Not that it's wrong, but where I am right now in my stage of life, in my character, my weaknesses, I don't think this is good for me. I'm going to live wisely before the face of my God because I don't want to miss the day of judgment. I don't want to be overtaken as a fool, as someone in darkness and ignorance. Being watchful. Watch out for those influences that will cause you to stumble, that will cause you to harden your hearts. And I'm going to talk about more of these things, more of this next week. Brothers and sisters, the day of the Lord should not be a terror or horror to any here this morning if you are in Christ. And I pray you're in Christ. If you want to talk about it, see Chuck or myself. But the day of the Lord for His people It's a grand reuniting and celebration of a coming King and Savior who comes to His own. It's like seeing, you know, the bridegroom been waiting for so long and now here He is. What a day that's going to be. Let that be, brothers and sisters, the intent of your hearts. Let's pray. And Father, do bless us in the name of the Lord Jesus. Bless us, Father, that we might certainly have these religious sensitivities stirred up in us. That we would consider and truly give a consideration to the day of the Lord as it's been put here in front of us in this book, in this epistle. And Lord, I pray that it would not just be some fancy end of the world teaching, but that it would be a true motivation of our hearts to be found faithful as that faithful steward in Matthew 24. Faithful with a little and will be given so much more. Lord, let that be our heart and mindset that when our Lord comes back, we too would be found faithful and pleasing in the sight of our Master, our Lord, and our Savior. And all of God's people said, Amen. Brothers,